Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. It's wonderful to be with you in this Advent season as we talk about why Jesus. Why did God give us Jesus? Uh, Why didn't God give up on us long ago? Why did God give us Jesus to be a Savior? And it's great. Uh, just so so great. I, I walked into this room this morning, and I just thought, it looks so nice in here. They, they won't care if I don't have much to say. It just feel, feels nice and, and, and good in here. Well, I want to tell you something that you may not know. Did you know that when you want to become a pastor, they make you take psychological tests? Because they want to make sure you're going into it for the right reasons. Uh, they want to make sure you're not going to do harm to people when, when you have that responsibility within the church, but they also want to make sure that your personality can handle the stresses and the strains of uh, church service. And so, uh, a little more than 20 years ago, when I was a student at Emory and Henry College, I pointed my car south on Interstate 81, and I drove from Emory, Virginia, down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to see a uh, psychologist. And I'd had to turn in many, many forms uh, and take surveys to prepare for that time. Uh, We got together, and I think shortly after our visit began, the psychologist realized she was in for a long day. I I think it was the moment at which she told me she had my test results, and I responded in my very best Bugs Bunny, how bad is it, Doc? (laughs) Well, She made it through most of the hour, and then towards the end of our time together, she looked at me, and she said, you know, you have trouble with being impatient sometimes, and that can make it hard for you to really listen to what other people are trying to say to you. In fact, you you are not outright rude. Uh, But you can get so impatient that at times you have a tendency to, and right then I interrupted her and said, finish other people's sentences. (laughs) She didn't say anything. She just looked at me. And a look was worth a thousand words. And and I know exactly what her look meant. She looked at me uh, and she, through that look, told me, I don't have enough evidence to fail you, but you need serious help. Right? I don't have enough evidence to fail you, but you need serious help. When we say that we need Jesus because Jesus is our Savior, what we're saying is we need serious help, right? We need serious help. We need serious help today, and we need serious help every day. And that's one of the reasons here at the church we encourage you to be a part of the Bible reading plan, to read your Bible every day. Uh, I encourage you, if you can, begin your day reading your Bible because it puts the, your mind and your spirit in the right uh, focus for, for the day. We have Bible reading plans that go along with these messages uh, for every day of the week. You can pick them up at the Information Center, a printed copy online at concordunited.org Bible. Not only can you get the daily Bible reading plan, you can get daily devotions in email or podcast form that will help you not just read Scripture, but pray Scripture. We need that help every day. 
And unfortunately, in our culture, uh, we're often taught that uh, we don't really need help. So we, we don't go looking for help, that we don't really need saving. When I was a kid, there was a, a kind of story that you heard a lot. And the story went something like this. Some of y'all might have heard a story like this. There would be a princess, and the princess would be trapped in a tall tower. And there would be a knight, usually on a horse, who would fight his way through the woods, usually with dragons in them, and he would get to the tower to save the princess. Well, as my kids have grown up, I find out we still have those stories, but they've changed. And usually now, when the knight gets to the tower, the princess looks down at him and says, what makes you think I need saving? And what makes you think you're the one to do it? Why'd you come out here by your own? A smarter person would have brought backup. The greatest example of this new genre of story might be from the original Star Wars movie when Princess Leia is trapped on the Death Star. And if you're a princess and you're trapped in a prison called the Death Star, you probably need help. Like, pr probably you're going to need help. And Han Solo, who, by the way, just so you know, is the greatest Star Wars character ever, just in case you were wondering that when you came to church today. Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, they go in to save Leia, and she basically says to them, I was hoping for more. I was hoping, I don't think y'all are up to this task. I was kind of hoping for more. Well, uh, friends, all the time in our culture, we're told that, that we're okay, that, that we don't really need saving, that we're good enough to figure it out on our own. Uh, wh whether we're men or women, old or young, uh, whether we work in the sciences or uh, whether we work in the arts or humanities, whether we work with people or we work with computers, uh, whatever it might be, whether we're introverts or extroverts, we are told all the time, you can figure it out on your own. You don't need help. You can save yourself. We love this in America. We love the idea that whatever we want to do, we can do it on our own. I read an article recently about a great young man. He makes good grades and he's like serves his community. I think he's a senior in high school. He's planning to go into the same profession as his grandfather and father who were very successful in this profession. And the article they wrote about this young man, the title of it was A Self-Made Man. And it's like, no, he's a great kid. He's a wonderful young man. He's fallen in the footsteps that were paved for him. We think in America that we are self-made that we can do it ourselves. That is a lie. We never were. We never will be. Uh, did you put diapers on yourself when you were a baby? Probably not, right? You needed somebody to do that for you. We need saving. Why do we need saving? What do we need to be saved from? Matthew tells us that. He tells us it's why God was so determined to not give up on us that God would come from heaven to earth to be with us why God would take the form of a human and all the sacrifice that it meant. We're picking up with Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Now this is the part to focus on. For he will save his people from their sins. Why do we need a Savior? He will save us from our sins. Now, the word sin isn't something that we use in our modern uh, cultural vocabulary much anymore. The usage of the word sin has declined dramatically over uh, the past decades. But unfortunately, sinful actions and attitudes have not taken a similar decline. Uh, So we need to say, what is this sin that we need to be saved from? Well, friends, think about Jesus' life. Think about who this baby became. What did he do? He walked around and he healed people and he fed people and he forgave people uh, and he did this for Jews and for Gentiles and he did it for rich and he did it for poor uh, and he did it for religious and he did it for non-religious and he did it for respected and he did it for uh, outcasts. He, he, He did this for all. And what did we do with him? We killed him. We conspired to kill him. Uh, Because uh, when humanity looked at his life, uh, we said, Jesus, your ways are just too different than our ways. Like, we, we don't want you influencing people because your values and your priorities, they're just fundamentally different from ours. So we've got to get rid of you. And you are so threatening to our values and our priorities and the way we take care of our own and push the others away and the way we make sure that we believe God loves us but not necessarily those other people. Your your values are so different from us. We not only have to kill you, we have to humiliate you and torture you as we kill you because we want to get the message across to anybody else who's thinking about being about what you're about, that this isn't the way to go. We need a Savior because we've become enemies with God. And every time I read those passages about the crucifixion, I have to encounter the fact that Most people in the crucifixion narrative either desert Jesus when he needs them most or they turn on him and participate in the crucifixion. And I just start adding up those numbers. And I do not have a degree in statistics, but statistically speaking, I would have been one of the ones crucified. It's much more likely I would have been one of the ones crucifying him than one of the ones who stayed faithful to him. I have to be honest about that. We need a savior because we've become enemies with God. Now, we don't think of ourselves as enemies with God. I'm always interested in the way people put like their social media profiles because they'll just put like what they are. Like, I think mine says like uh, husband, father, pastor, runner, friend, or people will, you know, they'll, they'll list like what, what they do. I've yet to see a social media profile where, where somebody puts like, um, you know, that, that they are, um, school teacher, PTA president, and enemies with God. Like, nobody would list that. Like, you, you, you wouldn't say, that's what I am. If you would list that on your social media profile, I have a counselor who might want to talk to you. Um, but that's what we become. That's, that's what sin causes us to become, enemies with God, uh, enemies with God in a way that we begin fighting against what God wants for this world a few years back, there was a terrible accident involving a drunk driver where 
several members of an innocent family were killed. And I knew some folks involved in that. And I remember thinking about that person because they had way more. Not, they didn't have one for the road. They had way more. And I remember thinking, how could you do that? How could you do that? How could you get in that car and think it was okay? And I just thought, what, what goes on? How, what, what an enemy of God. What an evil person. And then you know what I was doing? I was thinking about that one day as I was driving, because I was driving like not far from the place where it happened. And you know uh, what I noticed at that time? Somebody from church sent me a text. And what I do? I was looking down, typing with my thumb, and it was, I was driving. What difference is there between somebody who has too many to drink and gets behind the wheel of a car and somebody who types with their thumb behind the wheel of the car? I don't think there is one. I think both those people are in a situation where they're enemies with God, or they're guilty of great evil, of putting other people's lives in danger uh, because of their own irresponsibility. I said, oh, okay. Okay, Jesus, I get it. I get we need saving. I get I need saving. And we don't just need saving because we become enemies with God. Uh, we, we need a savior because we become enemies with others. And this, this becomes so much a part of our lives, even on our good days as, as well as our bad days. Uh, we, we get to know this during Christmas. Now, you probably, um, if you're 20 or older, you've probably experienced that at some point in your life, probably in your teenage years, Christmas became more about what you were giving others than uh, what you were getting, right? Um, so now, you know, you might be, you, some of you might be 50 and you be, might be like, really? <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but, but for most of us, that happens at some point. And it's interesting because we think that that happens and now we think, oh, I'm, I'm really there for others. I, I'm all about them. It, it's not about me. But let me ask you if ever, you've ever had this situation. Have you ever worked hard to pick out just the right gift for somebody and you just can't wait? Christmas Day, you want to see their face when you give them that gift. And then you see their face and they're like, oh, thank you. And you go home and you're mad and you're like, that was a good gift. They should have been more excited about that. I can't believe they didn't appreciate my gift. They don't know what's good for them. That little entitled da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? We, we think that, you know what that shows us? It was still about you. It was still about you. Instead of wanting to unwrap something, you just wanted to see somebody's face, but it was still about you. We make it about ourselves and we become enemies with others. And, and that's a funny example. But I bet there are people like this. I bet there are people that when you go into Kroger to get your groceries and they're in the produce section, you decide you'll go and start in the meat section, right? You don't, you don't want to be close enough where you have to look them in the eye. You don't want to be close enough uh, where uh, you have to consider whether you'll say hello or not. And some of these people might have hurt you significantly. Some of these people not have, might not have ever done a thing in the world to you except disagree or dislike you. I had somebody come into my office and they were struggling with hating somebody. And they said, this hate is eating me alive inside. I said, well, what have they done to you? Well, they haven't really done anything. Well, why do you hate them? Well, I disagree with them. Okay, y'all have a disagreement. So um, wh why, why do you dislike them so bad? 
because they won't talk to me and because they don't like me. Right. So we are living a... And I use that example because when the person told me that, I was like, instead of being like, you're crazy. I was like, I get it. I've been there. I've done that on Tuesday. Um, you know, we, we make ourselves enemy with, with others where if somebody doesn't like us, uh, we, we think they're at war with us. We need a savior. We need somebody to, to set that right, to show us how to live together. We need a savior, not just because we've become enemies with others, but we've become enemies with ourselves. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told? Maybe the greatest story ever told. Jesus says that there was this son, adult son, he goes up to his dad and he says, dad, you're dead to me. Just give me your money. Let me, let me leave. Now, the father does. Probably should have slapped him in the face. Father didn't do that, gave him the money. And so he leaves and he spends the money on just the worst things you could possibly spend the money on. Uh, the, the, the worst. He, he lives the worst way he could possibly live. And then the Bible tells us he came to himself. He sobered up and he came to himself and he realized this isn't me. This isn't who I am. Our culture is obsessed with being authentic. Like everybody says, I want to be authentic. I just want to be real. I want to be authentic. Here's the problem with saying that in our culture is that we have no standard in our culture for what authenticity is other than how I feel at the present moment, right? Um, there are moments when the last thing I want to do with my action and attitudes is communicate how I feel at the present moment, right? Uh, there are times when that wouldn't be good for anybody, the Bible tells us who we are authentically. It doesn't put that up to how we feel at one particular moment. The Bible tells us that authentically we were created in the image of God, that we were created to love others as God has loved us, or as Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That's our authentic self. Uh, when you're doing that, you're, be, you're being authentic. Uh, when you're spewing how mad you are at somebody, that might be real, but the Bible says that's not authentic, necessarily. Uh, so we have become enemies with ourselves, estranged from ourselves, from who we were created to be. We need a Savior. We need someone like Jesus who has the power not just to forgive us, but then to transform us uh, through his Holy Spirit to live within us and say, I will make you more like me. I will fulfill your destiny for what you were created for. Because what we find when we say Jesus is Savior is that we're not just saved from something. We are saved for something, right? Not just from something. We are saved for something. And while Matthew tells us we're saved from our sins, Luke, in his story of Christmas, tells us what we're saved for. Now, th this is coming to us from the second chapter of Luke, and this is the bit about the shepherds that you're probably familiar with. I want to focus on a part that often gets overlooked as we focus on the shepherds. So we're going to pick up Luke 2, verse 8. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
there's a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So now we know from Luke who the Messiah is, what the Messiah is coming to save us from. Okay, to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is the Messiah, the Lord? The Savior is the Messiah, the Lord. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah and, and the Lord? Well, what, what the word Lord means, and we, we don't use the word Lord the way it used to be used. The only uh, way we use the word Lord today is talking about landlords who own the property and, pay, and you pay rent to them. And that's kind of like God. God owns everything, and, and we should give God back all we can. But that's, that's far from what the word Lord meant in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, a Lord owned property, and people... Uh, on that property, not only did they pay rent, but most of those properties had private armies. And if you were living on the property, you fought in the army. You had a job. You had a position. Uh, for most of those lords back then, uh, you didn't really want to be in that position. You were going to have to go fight some war you might not even care about, uh, but because your boss told you to, to go do it. But Jesus says, I am your Lord. I am your commanding officer, except I care about you. And I don't want you to just serve me. I came to serve you and to bring you what is best for you. That's what it means to say our Savior is the Lord. And the Lord is the Messiah. The Messiah, the coming King of Israel. Uh, the one in whose kingdom we have a place. Uh, who, who makes a place in the kingdom not just for us but for others. And shows us what that true authentic self that we were created to be is. And includes others within that. That we weren't created for ourselves, but we were created to be in this community with others where we have a king over us. So what is it that we're saved for? Well, we're saved for more than we ever would have imagined. We are saved to know God. We aren't just saved to try to live a decent life, take care of our families, uh, retire without going into debt and die. That's not it. We're not even saved to make a lot of money travel the world, see a lot of uh, uh, amazing things, have a bunch of cool experience, maybe jump out of an airplane with a parachute, I don't know. Uh, we're, that's not what we're saved for. We're saved to know the eternal creator, saved to, to, know, to know the eternal God more, more than we ever would have thought for ourselves, to actually know God, to have a personal relationship with the one who put the stars in the sky and get to experience God's wonder, God's power, God's mercy, God's majesty, God's love, that's, that's what we're saved for. And not only that, but we're saved to love others, to really love others, not to just manage others in order to, not to just manipulate others in order to, to get what, what we want, not to even just be polite to others, but to love others as we love ourselves, to love others as Jesus loved us. And you know what? We've given a lot of examples today about how bad we are at this, but I imagine you've had moments where you've done this. I imagine you've had moments where you've cared about somebody and their well-being with no thought for your own, just simply out of pure concern for them. There's no better feeling in the world. There, there's none. And the reason, it's what you were created to do. It's who you were created to be. We're saved to, to know God, to love others, and we're also saved to enjoy eternity, to know that that this life is just the beginning, it's just the preparation. But there's eternity waiting out there for us. Now, when I was young, I was taught that basically 
eternity would be like singing praise to God like a really, really long choir rehearsal. I wasn't sure how I felt about that. I'm not naturally a singer. Now, I will tell you, I love good music. I love hearing good singers. And when I get to heaven, you know, I'm going to have like three requests. One, I'm going to be like, what do angels look like? Two, I'm going to be like, explain the platypus. And, and then three, I'm, I'm going to say, hey, could I just once sing Fool's Rush In like Elvis did? Like just once. Like I don't need to move my hips like Elvis did. I don't need the hair. I just want to sing that song one time like Elvis did. That'll be enough for me. So, so I get what, how great it could be to sing. But an eternal choir rehearsal? Like that sounds awful. I, I mean, I might want to take my chance at the other place. If, you know, if that's what it's all about, if I could just get some air conditioning there. Goodness, that's not what heaven is. Let me tell you what heaven is. Heaven, according to the Bible, it's a city. It's a city where we all have plenty of space and we all have a gorgeous place to live. It, it's a city where it, God's presence is such uh, that uh, you, God is, is right there beside you. It's a city uh, where you're with all your loved ones. It's a city where you are in perfect relationship with, with everyone, completely loving selflessly and completely being loved unconditionally by each person and by God who is, is right there with you. It's a place where there will be new things to experience for all eternity, but it's not just a place of novelty. It's a place where you are known deeply and you are completely content and satisfied forever. We can't even wrap our minds around that. And that's why the Bible tells us no I has seen or ear has heard the promises that God has in store for his children. That's what we're saved for. And we're saved in order that we might know that now so that we might live without fear. Uh, we might live under the courage that that promise gives. And to accept that, we need a Savior. There are other religions in the world that promise something similar. Most of them you get that gift of salvation by being good enough, by acting good enough, or by understanding good enough. But here's my problem. If you can't be perfect, how good's good enough? I mean, is God going to grade on the curve? I hope not. Like, what if you're in the lower 40% and God grades on the curve? That's bad news. Jesus says that's not how God is. Jesus says it's not about how good you are. It's not about how well you understand. It's about I came from heaven to earth to give you this gift. I died on the cross to give you this gift. Will you open it up? Will you receive it? Will you accept it? Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks. As we prepare to approach your communion table, that we can come to receive this gift that you've given us. Your body your blood, your presence from heaven to earth for us. As we prepare to receive this bread and this wine, Lord, as we come forward, let your presence show us your forgiveness, assure us that you have saved us from our sins, and also share with us your promise that you have saved us for your kingdom, that you have saved us for your presence 
that you have saved us for your love, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.